You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We primarily focus on Kentucky. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show! Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. Hello. Hello. How are you all doing? Pretty good. Good, good. So today we are talking about Southern Appalachian geology, and that sounds big and scary and broad, but we're going to have fun with it and and get into some interesting things in that world. The, the first thing I wanted to say, Doug, this is kind of for you and you and me, you and I were, were in this world of, of Southern Appalachian geology for a little while. Both of our master's degrees are involved in, in rocks in uh, Southern Appalachian geology and in the Piedmont of, of different states. But for me, it was my master's thesis, thesis at Eastern Kentucky University. And I was looking at, I was mapping metamorphic rocks and doing a lot of petrography and billion-year-old metamorphic rocks in the Virginia Piedmont. And I don't want to like speak for you, Doug, but I really, you know, being a part of that as a, at a young age was really awesome. It kind of got my geologic juices flowing to, to go to national meetings like Geological Society of Americas and hear geologists debate things about rocks and tectonics and metamorphism. I just found fascinating. And, and it, you know, I've kind of felt like I contributed a little part to that and it sort of cemented me kind of having a passion for earth science and I you know I, I don't do anything with Piedmont geology today but that was just I know I just ha- was happy to be a, a part of that little world for a while oh yeah no, yeah same here I, like we we were talking about before I I mean I grew up in North Carolina and I mean I, I got into geology for di- very different reasons but that was what you know getting into Southern Appalachian Piedmont geology was kind of what kept me going. And then, and then I got a job here and don't do any of that. But. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think our guests can probably comment on this, the debated stuff and what's still mysterious and, and controversial and things like that. But, um, we'll, we'll get into that. that. That's why this topic is so, so awesome. So let's, let's do that. Let's introduce our guest who is Ryan Thigpen. Ryan is an associate professor in the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences here at the University of Kentucky. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for being here. Excited to talk about some Um, Appalachian geology. Why don't you describe what you do, your interests, research in a nutshell before we kind of launch off? So I'm a I'm, 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 I don't know. I I wear a lot of different hats. I, uh, I guess I'm traditionally a what we might call a tectonicist. I do a lot of work in different phases of tectonics and specifically on how mountain belts are built and then destroyed, but it means that we do a lot of different things. So we do the traditional structure and the metamorphic geology and those sorts of things, but we also are, I'm very interested in in places like the Southern Appalachians because of the way that, you know, the modern rivers tear the system down or how the system erodes or is it still actively uplifting? Why is it, why are the mountain belts still here like 250 million years later? So there's a lot of other pieces um, to the story. So I've been working in the Appalachians now for um, over 20 years and 
it's definitely one of my favorite places in the world to to be and to work. Yeah, that's that's great. And so, what what we've kind of done here is just list list some talking points to launch from. But I think I think most people, listeners, perhaps are, recognize the Southern Appalachians with uh, some very iconic areas, Smoky Mountains National Park, beautiful national forests, awesome recreation areas, camping, hiking, you know, boating, uh, just an incredible beauty, uh, magnificent vistas, biodiversity, important for natural resources. But all of this, like so many other topics in geology, all of that begins with geology, the origin of the landscape and, and all of these pieces that we have to put together to to make the story. So let's let's dive in here. Southern Appalachians. Can you can you put a box around that that area? I mean, is it is it a, a sort of a fluid geographic footprint? I mean, I think generally it stretches from parts of West Virginia into Virginia, Tennessee. Georgia and into Alabama, Alabama. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I sort of envision it as the uh, sort of Alabama, Georgia, South and North Carolina, Tennessee, and once you move into Virginia and West Virginia, Kentucky, you're you're really starting to move into the Southern Appalachians. I sort of like see it as a tripart subdivision. It's like the Northern Appalachians is the place where you're really likely to get Lyme disease doing field work. The Central Appalachians, a little bit less so, and the Southern Appalachians, less so, but but probably more likely to get bitten by a copperhead or yeah, that is a good way to, <laughs> to classify. Yeah, but yeah the Virginia and Virginia and West Virginia and Kentucky are are really like the sort of the what we would consider probably the Central Appalachians. Northern Appalachians, Maine down to yeah. something. Yeah, and then, then the Canadian Appalachians are a different thing. And then we were just talking about Scotland. Scotland Appalachians are the I like to remind my Scottish friends are the first state to secede from the Union <laughs> back in the Silurian. <laughs> right. So let's remind listeners then why, why, why and how there are the Appalachian bedrock geologies related to Scotland. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, the, the, the Appalachians, when we break out mountain belts in geology, we, we break them out based on the event that formed them. And the Appalachians, the, the, some of the first formation events actually included parts of East Greenland, um, moving south into Scotland, what's, what's now northern mainland Scotland, most of the Canadian Appalachians, the east coast of Canada, and then all the way down to the southern Appalachians. And that all started about 450 million years ago. And then when the Atlantic opened, some of those pieces were rifted away, and, and Scotland was one of those pieces. So when you're standing on rocks in northern Scotland, um, a lot of those rocks have a very close equivalent in the Appalachians, which yeah. is kind of cool. And that's all that, you know, th that evidence was evidence for continental drift way back when when Earth scientists were figuring out continental drift and tectonics and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the time, of course, they didn't even know that they were equivalent when they first started right. mapping all these rocks. Right. But yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So the the rocks that you see, the Chilhowee sandstones, the really strong sandstones that you see that hold up Shenandoah and Virginia and the frontal, um, the frontal Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, those are the same sort of really resistant quartz sandstones that you see in northern Scotland. It's the exact same unit. That's so cool. Cambrian, yeah. The Cambrian Beach. Yeah. So the question 
I hear quite often, I don't know about, about you all, but um, question and, and sort of statements people make that the Appalachian Mountains are the oldest in the world. And at one point, maybe they were the tallest in the world. Is that is that true? <laughs> That's a tough question. So we we all use the connotation Appalachians, which is really a, a physiographic connotation because it's the Appalachian mountain chain is sort of the modern mountain chain that we see. But that mountain chain is the is sort of the composite consequence of at least four major collisional events um, that none of which are called the Appalachians. They all have different yeah. different names. And of course, when you go into Scotland and Greenland and Canada, they even have other different names. But the modern Appalachians are this amalgamated pile of topography that's left behind from all these events, um, with some people even believing that the modern topography has nothing to do with those events, that it's actually a more recent you know, uplift event, maybe the mantle pushing it up or something else happening. But um, the idea that they may have been the tallest on Earth at one point is, is also a fair one if you... If you believe that um, the Appalachians were formed in, in some of these collisional events by a, a collision that was similar to the one we see in the modern day Himalayas, yeah. then certainly they may have been um, may have been the tallest on Earth. And I, I think a lot of people that work on the Appalachians would would see that point, would say, yeah, that's probably correct. Um, as far as the oldest mountains in the world, they're probably not the oldest mountains in the world. They have an old collisional event about 1.2 billion years old, but there are older events in the rock record for sure. So, I mean, I guess that's ahead. how you define, what are the oldest mountains? So physio physiographically what we see today, are they the oldest? I mean, I, I guess there's the, what, Urals and Russia. Yeah. Um, Physio physiographically, physiographically, perhaps. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that the, once again, the question would be then, are, are they still, is there still a mountain belt there because of the collisions, which would make them the oldest mountains on Earth? Or are there, is there a mountain belt now there because of some more modern process that yeah. has uplifted them? If you go I to, gotcha. yeah. when oh, you go to Scotland, yeah. there's really not a lot of mountains. Okay. Um, and even in the Northern Appalachians, I mean, there's, there's mountains up there but a lot of the taller mountains um, in in the northern, uh, what we call the Appalachians, are not they're not derived from the collision, and so it's sort of an interesting that thing is, uh, to think about. Yeah, that's something we were we were actually talking about this earlier. Well, I mean, the Appalachians are high. I mean, they're and the tallest ones are in the southern Appalachians, mm -hmm. which seems weird to me because you know you would think you know, with higher humidity and everything that you'd have all this erosion and, and yet you've got this really, really high topography still after 250 million years, whenever that was about the last, last gasp, I guess, of the origin. So, yeah, that, so that, it's curious, you know, why that's a whole sort of emerging <laughs> field of study is, is the decay of mountain belts, like the, the destruction of of mountain belts. And it is weird to have not just the Appalachians here, but you know, those of us that have spent a lot of time in those mountains, including you guys, I mean, you've seen, you know, when you see the Blue Ridge Escarpment in Virginia, it's not a gentle feature. It's very abrupt, it drops thousands of feet. It's a, I mean, it looks like something out of an active mountain belt. And so it sort of begs the question, are these steep and crazy rivers and escarpments and things being preserved by some sort of ongoing or 
or recent uplift, um, I guess the question is, should the mountains have disappeared by now, 250 right. yeah. years later? And I think yeah. a lot of people would say, based on just watching how old mountain belts erode when they're uninterrupted, then it, it should be gone and it's still here. So that's, yeah, that's a whole nother enigma. Yeah, that's interesting because now, obviously, these mountains are adjacent to a passive tectonic margin. There's, there's no rifting or collision currently. No, and there's... There's big, I mean, it's not just the, the the topography that's preserved. I mean, there's big rivers doing a lot of active erosion. So it's not like the work's not being done. If you, if you go to the Blue Ridge Escarpment just south of the Virginia border, there's a river called the Linville. And the Linville is a monster river and it falls off of the escarpment um, in what is the deepest river gorge east of the Mississippi. It's about 3,000 feet deep, which you wouldn't, we see 3,000 foot deep river gorges in places like the Himalayas. We don't see them. That's crazy. We don't yeah. expect to see them in places like the Appalachians. But that is a sort of a transient blip in time, if you will, where this river has diverted its path and is now, instead of flowing north to the Ohio and to the Mississippi, has changed its course to move towards uh, the Atlantic. And it's rapidly eating its way into the continent as it does it. And, and it's a weird... It, they, it looks like the drainage system of a modern mountain belt. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's why, uh, that's a great place to visit, by the way. Linville Gorge. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Let's. A little plug for. Yeah. <laughs> Let's break this up a little bit more and try to constrain some of the, the parts of the Southern Appalachians. So um, generally, uh, the Southern Appalachians are divided up into several physiographic provinces. So from east to west, this is the Piedmont, the Blue Ridge, the Valian Ridge, and what is termed the Appalachian Plateaus. Uh, Ryan, is that is that still accurate and a good way to kind of subdivide a very complicated place? Yeah, in the southern Appalachians, that actually holds really well. It gets more complicated as you go north, um, particularly because the erosion of the mountain belt gets can get a little weird. But the Appalachian Plateaus, where we live here in Kentucky, are, are largely um, relatively higher elevation plateaus held up by a bullet-hard sandstones that ironically were um, the product of, of river drainage off the last Appalachian orogeny, which was the Allegheny, and when Africa hit North America. But they just don't erode very fast, and, so, and they're flat, so they're, it's like having a really strong lid on, on your erosional system. Um, the Blue Ridge is very, very similar in that way. It's got very strong resistant rocks. So that's where we get the tallest mountains, um, Mount Mitchell, um, which is the tallest mountain in the Southern Appalachians in North Carolina. It's also the Smoky Mountains. So basically the high elevation spine that you see. Um, the Valley and Ridge and Piedmont tend to be a little bit more subdued, but the Valley and Ridge has this really um, linear pattern that's controlled by the faults and folds and the differential erosion of those units, the, the sandstones and some of the dolomites, which is sort of an iron and magnesium bearing limestone, they're very strong. So they make the ridges and the valleys are all these limestones and shales that erode really easy. And then the Piedmont is completely flat yeah. um, and covered in poison ivy. <laughs> That's why I like my snake work. That's Lots where snakes. I like snakes. 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 <laughs> And it's really because the Piedmont are really, really high grade metamorphic rocks that used to compose the interior, the deep interior of the mountain belt. And because those rocks are are rocks that are meant to be deep in the earth. When you bring them to the surface, they erode really quickly. They, they chemically weather really quickly. Yeah. And so the whole Piedmont has been 
eroded away. And the only thing we're missing here actually is the, you know, the, the Carolina terrain part of the Piedmont, which is ah. a, even further to the Southeast. And it's a big chunk of Africa that was actually left behind um, in the big, big collision. And we know that for the fossils and some of the other things that are there. That's why I picked uh, the Piedmont for my master's field work. Flat, no outcrop. I really wanted, <laughs> I really wanted prime. Yeah, you same know, here. Really, you know, my advisor really easy. Uh, same as Ryan's, you know, everybody worked in the mountains <laughs> and I was, oh, I'll work in the flat Piedmont, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Where it's hard as hell to find a rock. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's arguably the most complicated too. So, but it makes it, it's easier to not recognize the complexity when you never see any outcrops. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and we can get into this when we start talking about these specific mountain building events. But the Blue Ridge, which, like you mentioned, the Smoky Mountains, Blue Ridge Mountains, is that the Blue Ridge seems to encompass a lot of the evidence for several mountain building events. You've got volcanic rocks, you've got intrusive igneous rocks, you've got meta sediments you've got all this uh, really variety of geology in the blue ridge that points to different um times and events in in mountain building yeah. is that right yeah the blue ridge is the the only rocks in the whole system that are old enough to have recorded everything so um, a lot of the valley and ridge rocks were deposited after the first big mountain building event in the Appalachians about 1.2 billion years ago. And the same is true largely for a lot of the stuff in the Piedmont and the Appalachian plateaus. But the Blue Ridge has been sort of the, the long-term recorder of all the things that happen. But it also means that it's, it's really complicated. My, my group works in a lot of mountain belts all over the world um, that a lot of our students think are, you know, cooler, places to work like the Himalayas, but the story in the Appalachians is way more elegant and way more complicated than most of those mountain belts. Uh, that's why, yeah, that's why I love it. Hear um, that, students? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Ridge. if you want to get Lyme disease in the rhododendron, <laughs> we have a place for you. And rabies. And rabies. <laughs> Raccoons yeah. and rabies. No, no, it's a, it's a really spectacular place to work. It's a very special place to work. We work, I don't know about you guys, but when I worked for Hatcher, we could really only map like January through April. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, I mean, it's basically, uh, the, the Blue Ridge in particular is a temperate deciduous rainforest. So... It is when the vegetation comes in, you literally can't move through it. The rhododendron in particular and the mountain laurel. Um, and it just so happens all those things grow in the watersheds and the watersheds are where the rocks are. Yeah, right. So it's, it's a challenge. Let's, uh, so let's move through some specifics about mountain building events and kind of broadly how, how these came to be. So we, we, have, the, we have the provinces uh, and the, they, those each have their unique kind of distinct geologic footprint, but what, what got, got those there? So in the beginning, you, you may have mentioned this at the beginning, Ryan, but uh, th there was a supercontinent, and I think it was called Rodinia. That supercontinent, this was Precambrian, so one point something billion years ago, this, this supercontinent broke up and started drifting apart. Uh, that allowed sort of the continental margin that was forming there to subside and a lot of sediments started accumulating in the basin that was subsiding because of this supercontinent breakup. 
But then a lot of crazy stuff started to happen, right? When you have this rifting kind of, you get volcanic activity. There, there were actually volcanoes back in this, in this time period. And, and then I guess I'm a little, maybe a little unclear on how, for, when, when you go from that time to an actual continental-continental collision. And I'll just lay out here. I think this is still valid. There's three sort of agreed upon mountain building collisional events um, that occurred after this kind of supercontinent breakup. Is that, um, so we can, we can go through these. One's the Taconic around 470 million years ago. One's the Acadian about 350 million years ago. The most recent one, last one is the Alleghenian. Uh, these are called orogenies. Uh, was around 260 million years ago, give or take. Is, does that still hold? Yeah, pretty pretty much. I mean, the supercontinent of Rodinia was, you could imagine that basically like the Himalayan collision, like the Indo, Indo-Asian collision. It was a huge collision of, collision event, um, continent-continent collision. Um, maybe the biggest orogenic event in Earth's history. Um, we, we, we seem to think it's bigger every time we study it a little closer. But you're right, when that, we go through these cycles of, Continents colliding and then ocean basins opening up between those continents and then it starts all over again. We call them Wilson cycles. Hmm. But the when Rodinia broke up, it it, uh, it created some basins like the Okoe Basin, um, which is the the Okoe Basin is basically the rocks that you see if you went to the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, it created most of it deposited most of the rocks that make up like the Mount Rogers Massif. So if you're a you know Appalachian Trail hiker, um, that's the big mountain system around Grayson Highlands, around the Virginia border. That's all same um, breakup event, probably. And like you said, you get the volcanism, the Mount Rogers volcanism. And there was another big volcanic event that um, the Bakersville swarm volcanic event. And you can see evidence of these things. If you drive between Johnson City, Tennessee and Asheville, North Carolina, there's these huge outcrops cut through the interstate. And you'll see these big black volcanic, um, these mafic dikes that cut through all these outcrops. And that's all evidence of those events. When we get into the Paleozoic, things get get even more complicated. And, and that's really been the challenge with unraveling all this. But the Taconic, I always like to think of the Taconic arc accretion event or arc collision as um, if you think about the modern um, like Sunda Trench, the the big trench that caused the earthquake back in, in 2004. In Indonesia. In Indonesia. Yeah. That's basically the kind of event that we would be thinking about for the Taconic. Um, it was a big arc system. And I, I think that would probably be the closest equivalent, that thing that basically goes all the way from East India down past, like through Malaysia and Indonesia. Um, the Akkadian event, or what in the Southern Appalachians, we actually call it the Neo-Akkadian. And that's because in Appalachian lore, um, one of the rules is you have to constantly reinvent terminology to confuse people. So we, <laughs> I mean, we, it's job security. That's, that's, what we, like that's, anything. that's what we do. Yeah. So uh, every opportunity we get, we reinterpret units or reinterpret names, even if nothing changes. But the Akkadian event or the Neo-Akkadian event is, we think, is the closest equivalent to the early parts of the Himalayan collision that's ongoing today. Um, with the Alleghenian event actually being the culminating phase of that. So there are people like me who actually think the Neo-Akkadian and Alleghenian is one big protracted collision that we used to separate, and maybe that separation is not as useful now. But but it's still yeah. there's still a lot of people that 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 will Separated. work through those things. Yeah. And so uh, Alle- the Alleghenian is really the the Acadian is when the first part of Africa hits North America, um, this big thing we call the Carolina superterrain. It's got African, pan-African fossils and 
isotopes and all sorts of good things. And then the Alleghenian is that culminating phase where the African continent um, of Gondwana hits Laurentia, which was North America at that time. I always thought there's the least amount of evidence for an Acadian orogeny. Is that true? Well, the, in the Southern Appalachians, it's a very pronounced event in the Piedmont. Um, it's a very high temperature event, about 380 to 330. I wrote about it a lot in my oh. thesis, so I'm hoping it's uh, sorry. Yeah. sorry, Doug. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of hacks coming out of the University of Tennessee in the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. and, you know. I didn't put Neo in front of it, though, so maybe I should yeah, I guess. I, guess I, don't know. I guess I just meant, like, when we get into, you know, when you have these mountain-building orogenic collisional events, you have a lot of metamorphism associated with that, so you get the earliest event gets destroyed somehow or, or the metamorphism destroys any evidence of uh, the temperature pressure conditions that were happening and things like that with, within the rock. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, one of the really interesting things about the Appalachians that's always kind of, I think a lot of people in the geology community think that everything's been done there. And I think the, our inability to separate some of the things we see there or understand some of the basic processes we see there are more of a function of people not working there because they think it's all been done. And I led a Penrose conference in 2014 where we brought in non-Appalachian people from all over the world uh, to be in the Appalachians. We went on a number of field trips and had a number of talks and over about six days, we drank all of the beer in Blowing Rock, North Carolina. (laughs) Um, But a lot of, you know, a lot of these really famous people that had worked in systems that had seen a lot more focus like the Alps would say, well, what's the age of this? Or what's the age of that? Or where did this come from? And I would say, I don't know, because no one's ever looked. And so there's actually, this is the other thing I try to tell my students that when I try to get them interested in Appalachian geology, there's a lot of first order things that we still don't understand because we just haven't done the work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that is also a a funding problem where the funding organizations think that all the work has been done. So when you say, I need money to go work there, they say, well, that stuff's already been done, right? And it's a, it's a broken perception. So there's a lot of, I mean, my, my friend Philip Prince, um, who's at Virginia Tech, is going after fundamental you know, geomorphic processes in the Appalachians that haven't been looked at since Hack you know, the, the, the godfather of modern geomorphology wrote some papers about the Appalachians and nobody's looked at those things there since Philip and until Philip showed up, you know, 60 years later. So yeah, Philip's doing some interesting stuff with slope stability, Uh landscape evolution and how all that ties into the Appalachian landscape. Yeah. I mean, we just had a big earthquake in Sparta, North Carolina and nobody, we have no idea why (laughs) not the survey, not the USGS, none of the academic, none of us know, you know, people ask me all the time, well, what's causing that earthquake? I'm like, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, just the question we were just talking about, about the topography, I mean, pretty fundamental question. And we really don't know the answer. You have a great I mean, answer. You look at the Himalayan, you know exactly why it's high, I, I assume. But, yeah. what, but what's the coverage this is a very generally difficult. of one to 24,000 scale geologic mapping? I mean, is it still pretty spotty? Yeah. Pretty spotty. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's a ton of mapping that could be done. Yeah. And, and that's another, I mean, nobody's funding that. I mean, what I you mean, guys have done in the state of Kentucky is completely unheard of in all the other states in the Southern yeah. Appalachians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very, 
I mean, even working, you know, Doug worked in the hatchery with, with Professor Bob Hatcher at Tennessee like I did. And there were years where our group was mapping more quadrangles than the Tennessee and North Carolina surveys. Oh, by far. And yeah. it yeah. was so it's a very. It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. There's and a then, lot we don't know. I mean, yeah, there's huge gaps. And I mean, I think about North Carolina because that's aside from Kentucky, I'm probably most familiar with North Carolina and South Carolina and. I mean, you look at the coverage and there are huge holes in, in what's been mapped at a detail that we find acceptable for making pretty good interpretation. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. So, And I think about the work that I did, you know, more than 20-something years ago. And, um, and that area is, I mean... Nobody's looked adjacent to it <laughs> or really. We should go. We need to go back and field check all that stuff. Yeah. But, sure. <laughs> please, yeah. It's probably, it's probably got a ton of houses on top of it, yeah. and, which is the other thing. I think people have this perception that all of this is done because it's a pretty highly populated lived in area for a really long time. And if anything, that just makes things worse because, you know, stuff gets developed and exposure goes away and, I'm sort like of that, I, I'm sort of interested to hear Sarah's perspective on this because I always we always talk about this amongst like other Appalachian geologists and I think Appalachian geologists have a, even maybe sort of a broken view of their own system. But do, does everybody outside the Appalachians think we're crazy? The hydrogeologists, <laughs> hydrogeologists you think we're crazy. You are a little outside of my like realm. <laughs> so, uh, so I've been mostly just listening. I don't know what to think. Uh, I think it's interesting but I don't have any opinions. <laughs> Speaking of that Sparta, North Carolina earthquake, um, the mineral Virginia earthquake yeah. in 2011, maybe? Yeah. Largest earthquake to happen in the East Coast in 200 years was right next to my field mapping area in yeah. the Piedmont of Virginia. Oh, yeah. And, of course, a graduate student, I didn't know there was such a thing as the Virginia seismic zone. And so I think a lot of people had forgotten there was a Virginia seismic zone. Yeah, that's the one that cracked the Washington Monument. Cracked the right? Washington Monument. Buildings yep. in New York City swayed, yep. swayed a bit. Yep. We, we had an earthquake the year before that, not far away in Virginia. And I was a visiting professor at William & Mary. And the news reached out and wanted to talk to somebody about the earthquake and what caused it. And you know, they said, would you be willing to go down to the news station for an interview? And I was like, absolutely not. And they said, why not? I said, I have no idea what caused that earthquake. <laughs> So I, I called my friend Chuck Bailey and said, hey, Chuck, he was camping out on the Outer Banks and I sent him unshowered to the newsroom to <laughs> to these people. <laughs> Cover for me. I guess I did say that I would mention a cave in every episode. Yes. So there are caves in the Appalachians. I know there are caves in the Smokies. Um, I think it may have been surpassed by now, but the deepest cave uh, in Tennessee was in the Smoky Mountains. Is that Tuckalichi? No, but that's a nice show cave that we were also, I was helping map that. Um, okay. So Tuckalichi is cool because yeah. if you go, like the bed of the rocks is nearly vertical. Yeah. And it's like, it's oh, yeah. limestone, but oh, yeah. it's slightly metamorphosed. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, su super cool. Oh, yeah. It's, it's one of the windows. It sits. Right. The, basically, the Smoky Mountains are this big faulted chunk of rock that gets pushed up over the limestones. And the Tuckalichi sits in a little window through that it's like a erosional hole oh. through that through all the co cades cove the really famous cades cove that everybody likes to 
drive around and be angry at people driving too slow, looking for bears. Bear While they're jams. driving around. Yeah, that's right. With everybody else. Yeah, I remember having to go out there mapping and would always be frustrated and I'm like honking at people to get out of the way. And then I'm the guy that passes them in my truck with my license plate that said Friends of the Great Smoky Mountains. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those are, those are erosional holes. As a matter of fact, there's... There's a few places south of there where um, in, in just a brief window of geologic time, we can see that there's going to be new windows, new holes through that thrust sheet moving down towards the Okoe River. Oh, that's cool. And by brief, I mean, you know, 10 <laughs> to 50,000 years or something. Right. Yeah. You know, a little longer than we'll be here, but. <laughs> so we've got more or less three mountain building events from which there's a lot of evidence for with evidence, you know, structural geologic evidence mineralogic evidence, things like that. But we've also mentioned a lot of other terms that are commonly used in Southern Appalachian geology and describing describing the rocks and describing tectonics and all these these events. So You're gonna use you, the T word, aren't you? Terrain. <laughs> okay. Is that is that still T E R R A N E? Is that yeah. is that an acceptable word? I so I worked in Bob Hatcher's lab when the terrainathon started <laughs> and it Getting was job like security. Yeah. <laughs> every, <laughs> well, it was sort of matched up with the, with the phase in time when geochronology, the, the way that we date rocks, figure out their age, not take them out for dinner. <laughs> but it, it happened at a time when all that became not only available, but became a lot cheaper. It became easier for, you know, instead of having to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to do geochronology, you could do it for hundreds of dollars. And so we started dating a lot of rocks and coming up with a lot of ages. And every time we came up with a new age, well, that was a new terrain. Yeah. And it had to have a name that nobody could spell or pronounce like Cartugache. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knew where the, I, I remember actually after the 2014 Penrose conference, I said to Summer, what was your favorite part? My wife is also a geologist who helped me, but is not necessarily a Southern Appalachian geologist, but she helped me with the conference. And I said, what was your favorite part? And she said, trying to teach people from all over the world how to pronounce Cartugache. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think now we're realizing that a lot of those terrains that we separated have really common histories. And my favorite was what we called exotic Terrains, Exo yes. um, Exotic, which was like, these are the ones that might be African instead of North American. And then we had in the middle of that, we had what we called suspect right. terrains. Oh, <laughs> suspect. Yeah, right. And those were the ones that, you know, it was like, could be either one. And I always found the exotic and so, the suspect and all that. An stuff. exotic yeah, terrain, is that the same as an accreted terrain? Well, came, it was a an exotic would, yeah, be something that, so w what we called North America or Laurentia, it had a history that didn't match with that. So it came from another continent and had been left behind. I mean, the Carolina, what Bob called the Carolina super terrain was one of those terrains that's got these African trilobites in it called paradoxites um, that are very rare. And as best I can tell, I've been to three outcrops of them, and they're all protected by yellow jacket nests. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, I think that's a thing, right? Like tracker jackers. Yeah. So. I worked in the Goochland terrain. Oh, yeah. Uh, I lo love that name, yeah. the Goochland terrain in the Piedmont of Virginia. That's exotic, um, right? Is it suspect? <laughs> now that now that you say that, I want to I want to say it's suspect. Yeah, I think my I think my advisor is Stuart Farrar at Eastern Kentucky University. He argued that it was basement. 
it was ancestral basement. So in, you know, okay. not accreted terrain or exotic. Yeah. But I think there were some of his colleagues in other places. It would argue differently. I don't, I never know where that landed. That's why I loved like hearing these old geologists in the hallways that, Hotels and GSAs argue argue about it. Oh, they lose, like they lose a, friendships over it. It's, <laughs> it's a real scene at Southeast GSA. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. I mean, I always have in, in my my head, you know, these. I just envision all these little islands, you know, floating around, waiting to get accreted. And I mean, I you know, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but really, what you're looking at is is the result of collision and what's left behind and trying to trying to match up what these packages of rock are they are they similar or are they different yep. fossils really help a whole lot age dates i don't know metamorphism I mean, yeah metamorphism igneous activity there's yeah, all yeah. sorts of diagnostic things that we can learn about them but yeah they all i guess the the main story is is sort of unraveling the different histories that all these things have experienced before they were smacked onto the side of north america and left right. behind and yeah. that's once again, that's one of the biggest challenges for working out what goes on in the Appalachians is that you could cross one of these fault boundaries and everything changes. And mm-hmm. it's, or you can cross a quadrangle boundary where somebody stopped mapping 30 years ago and everything changes. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's weird how that boundary is just a straight line. Yeah, you'll find yes. very few people that will like be, you say, like a North Carolina mapper. And then you'll ask people like me, you'll ask them questions about Virginia. I worked, I was a professor a visiting professor in Virginia, and I did my PhD at Virginia Tech, and I can tell you almost nothing mm-hmm. once you go southeast of the Blue Ridge about Virginia. So that's one of the big problems, I think, is that we don't really amalgamate knowledge. And I think for a long time in the Southern Appalachians, another problem was that we didn't work together as well as we could have done. We didn't, we didn't support each other um, on grants and on papers to try to get knowledge out um, on grant proposals. And we didn't we just didn't come together in the field at you know big field conferences and come to any sort of agreement. We'd get out there and argue with each other, and then we'd go home all sure that we had gotten it right. Right. Yeah. The whole rest yeah. of the world was wrong. And I'm hoping one of the the things I'm really excited to see in the future of Appalachian geology is a new generation of of uh, Appalachian geologists that spend a lot more time working together and trying to sort of lift each other up and and solving a lot of these problems that are going to be really, really difficult to solve. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of, I, I named five terrains in my career. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, which yeah. is what, you know, I think there was this, oh, I stake my flag on this whatever terrain. And yeah. And some of, and, you know, some then, of those things that, you know, some of the stuff that, that those guys were doing, um, particularly guys like Bob Hatcher and Jim Toll and Jim Hibbard, was really pushing our understanding of these things forward. We just didn't understand that there was so much more that we needed to know. Um, and we didn't always do the greatest job. And, and I take responsibility for part of that as well, because I, I came up during that time, but not spending enough time working with and trying to understand our what our colleagues were seeing in the field, what they were thinking and why they were interpreting things the way they were interpreting it. Very similar to our modern Politics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we can be a good example for collaboration and, you know, moving yeah, forward. Absolutely. But uh, what, Doug, what's your favorite Southern Appalachian geology formation? Or terrain name. Or terrain name. You could, you could, <laughs> or you could do a terrain name. Yeah. Uh, well, 
I always I always favor those Mount Rogers group rocks. They're they're fascinating. They're they have kind of everything. They have um, glacial sediments. They have volcanics, and that's just a really neat package of rocks. And it's Southwest Virginia, snowball um, Earth. Yeah, snowball the Earth. Snowball so the Earth. Yeah. Whole Earth was glaciated. You know. Or, you know those outcrops now have a huge sign on them that says you can't stop there. You can't look at them. Oh right, yeah. Summer was leading a field trip there and, and came across this, and it's because um, some of the once it's always the paleomagnetics people, but oh. came and drilled a bunch of holes in this guy's outcrop, and now he won't let any of us look at it. Ugh. So it's really unfortunate. We'll have to go apologize to the entire world on behalf of the paleomagnetists. Sarah, do you have a favorite? Is it a limestone? Probably. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know the names of the limestones, <laughs> but any of the limestones, absolutely. <laughs> Probably one of the radon-bearing ones. <laughs> I don't know why this always sticks with me, but but mine is the Catoctin Formation. Oh yeah. I think it's in the Blue Ridge. Yes. Yeah, and it's a. Area. Yeah. Oh, it is okay. Mm -hmm. The Catoctin Formation is a pillow basalt, mm -hmm. and that when I saw that in the field and an outcrop and learned about it, I, it blew my mind. It's like. So a pillow basalt is a uh, basalt that results from rifting in and 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 igneous lava intruding into water, right? Is that right? So it it has a special it, it cools and crystallizes in a very unique way because it erupted into into water. So there's evidence of that in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's this dark basalt, but it has this sort of globular shape, and that's why it's called a pillow basalt. And uh, it's, 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 it's really cool stuff. Basically what's happening at the modern Atlantic Ridge. Yes, yeah, the ocean exactly. Opens rift up, right? rift, yeah. rift yeah. basalt. It's, so it's a very diagnostic of, of rifting. I mean, it's amazing those things get preserved for so long. I mean, Especially in the Appalachians yeah, where the everything Appalachians, weathers yeah. to mud. Yeah, yep. 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 yeah, I think the Catoctin's maybe Cambrian or uh, maybe older. Uh, it's, yeah, uh, six. 100, 700 okay, million yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's old. Yeah. <laughs> Let's bring this back to Kentucky uh, a little bit. And um, can I have one more favorite? Oh, really yeah, quick? yeah, yeah. Okay, so somewhat unrelated, but I went down to the Gulf Coast recently for the first time and was blown away by the sugar sands, which is like the really white, super fine oh, yeah. sand. I'd never never been down there, never seen that, and it was super cool. So. I looked up like where did that come from and why is it like that and it's white crystalline quartz from the Appalachians and I think also like a part of a result of the last ice age as well brought a lot of that down there I'm not sure um, but what do you guys know about like the sugar sands and it's it's definitely like trans if anything <laughs> no that's fascinating that's so that's not carbonate like the Florida Gulf Coast. There. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, I, I know as much as you just yeah. said. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's just been recycled, yeah, you know, that many yeah. times over that it's so pure. Of course, some of that stuff, you know, gets hauled in after every hurricane. So who knows where they bring it from? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So is that is there a travel distance there that's just incredible? Or is, it, is there more weathering of rocks in the southeast that accumulate and deposited on the beach there? I don't know. I think um, one of the things that I saw mentioned, it had to do with like n no major river outlets mm -hmm. right there um, where it would have been like dirtier or carried like larger 
sediment pieces, but that was about as far as I could get. No, no, that's exactly right. If you go to Texas, where the big rivers come into the same coastline, it doesn't look like that at all. Nice and muddy. And... It's very muddy. You go to, you're all excited yeah. to go to the beach in Galveston, coming down from Houston. You're like, yeah. get there and just. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that that's a great segue into actually how Kentucky is related to Southern Appalachian geology, and that's the sediments, right? Eastern Kentucky consists of huge packages of sedimentary rocks that were once actual sediments shed from these mountains that were building up to the east. Yep. And um, you know, generally, that's that's what happened, and that's what what made Eastern Kentucky what it is. Yeah, you get those uh, really clean quartzo-feldspathic sandstones, and they'll have. Mostly, it's mostly quartz, a little bit of feldspar that's it's being shed off the mountain belt. I always think of the all the eastern Kentucky rocks, the sandstones coming off the Appalachians. It's like the Ganges Brahmaputra of the Himalayas. It's the same kind of river system in scale, but it creates these bullet hard, this bullet hard sandstone belt that goes from basically Chattanooga and Tennessee up through Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, and into western West Virginia. And I'm a rock climber. And so these, these bullet, this bullet hard sandstone belt is home to some of the best climbing anywhere in the world. And Eastern Kentucky probably has the most unique, I was trying to explain it today to a potential graduate student. I said, I, I, I literally can't explain it. Most people don't think sandstone's that cool, but do a Google image search of Red River Gorge sandstone yeah. and the patterns that you see in it, and the cross beds and the pockets and the way it weathers. It's just so spectacular. Oh yeah, we, we did an episode on the gorge, and uh, Matt Massey was our guest. Oh, okay, we, we, we yeah. got in. We got into some of the specifics and uh, nerdiness about the sandstone and climbing. Yeah. It's it's so cool. It's incredible. Yeah, and along with that were huge swamps. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, massively huge swamps of which you know obviously led to coal formation later on when those were buried. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like you can you can look at the the rocks in Eastern Kentucky and decipher what kind of environment was going on. Like you mentioned, Ryan, the, the, the deltas and, and the dug swamps, and there's all these shifting kinds of environments that were being created and destroyed as the mountains were building up. And so that's, uh, we, we can figure what out the, figure out what those were because of the sediments in Eastern Kentucky. So the, these, these sands, I mean, were they, were they more, river type sediments or beach yeah the cliffs that you see are, are all fluvial they're all river yeah river systems but i always like to try to find a modern example of what i think it might have been equivalent to and when i think about the coal formation coupled with the big these big sandy deltas i always think of places like bangladesh right yeah like bangladesh yeah. would probably be like big, a really huge good example. Deltas. huge delta draining yeah. a big mountain belt with a lot of swampy area around it yeah yeah so with the conglomeratic sandstones in a lot of eastern Kentucky, I mean that represents a high energy environment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The water or just really fast. big rivers, big yeah, rivers. moving a lot of lot of material. I think what's fat. I mean, it's all draining interior into the continent. Which is there an analog for that? Where yeah, we I mean, have it, it's large... very similar to the it's very similar to the Ganges Brahmaputra system that sort of comes out of the Himalayan mountains, but then moves along the mountain front because the it's sort of there's a basin out in front of all these mountain belts and it sort of traps it in the front and then it eventually escapes through bangladesh but um 
I think a lot of people, I'm not a sedimentologist and I don't, you know, I don't really work on the river systems um, for the Appalachians, but I think a lot of people believe that it's these big, you know, mountain parallel transaxial river systems that oh, right. yeah. flow okay. along the front of the mountain instead of out into the, like out towards Illinois. Or, okay. I got you. Right. Yeah. So they're coming. They're north, sort of, they're sort of moving south, yeah, north, east and southwest okay, along yeah. the front yeah. of the mountain belt. And, and so that's why you get that beautiful sandstone belt. Like I said, that extends, I mean, it really extends down all the way into Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last thing I wanted to get to, and I, we, we probably should have a separate episode on this, but it's, it's talking about Pine Mountain oh, yeah. and Cumberland Mountain that, that are partially in Kentucky. This, this part of Kentucky, Pine Mountain, Cumberland Mountain, uh, were formed during the Alleghenian Mountain Building event, which we mentioned earlier. Pine Mountain is a northwestern edge of a large thrush sheet called the Pine Mountain Thrush Sheet, and uh, it's a big structural feature. Uh, this big block of crust was shoved Oh, about six to 11 miles from where it originated uh, during the Alleghenian collisional mountain building event. And so now we have deformed rocks in Pine Mountain. We have deformed rocks in Cumberland Mountain. In between those, there's a what geologists call a syncline. So sort of a, a large fold basically in between those two ridges that are Pine and Cumberland Mountains. That's a very crude, broad way to describe it but those pine mountain and cumberland mountain are really interesting distinct features you know directly related to alleghenian yeah an alleghenian event yeah the that's the last thrust that's the the last fault that forms in the in the north american african collision is the pine mountain thrust and my my friend greg abernathy is the i know greg ex, oh, you know greg yeah so greg greg lives in my neighborhood he, he's actually the guy we bought our house from hilariously but he's the director of the, is it the Kentucky Natural Lands Trust? Is that That's right? right? That's right. Which is, uh, does a lot of work with the Pine Mountain Preserve. And what's really interesting about Pine Mountain is that that thrust fault actually brought the coal horizons in Pine Mountain to the surface, had them be eroded. And it's why Pine Mountain never got mined. Oh, really? So yeah. without yeah. the thrust, yeah. yeah. So you can yeah. thank the Allegheny and yes. Orogeny yeah, 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 for Allegheny. saving the Pine Mountain wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been telling him for years, I would draw them a cross section and, and, and do a restoration, pull the thing back to show him how um, the coal gets brought to the surface and gets exhumed and eroded away. And it's on the list of other things, things. to do. <laughs> but but it's, it, it really is, a, it's, a, it's an accident that it, you know, and that's why Pine Mountain is this, you know, beautiful nature preserve that's never, never been, never been mined. Yeah. Beautiful area. Pine Mountain State Park is really great state park. So plug, plug for that. Mm -hmm. Pine Mountain Trail is excellent. There's a core group of people that maintain that. And it's right now, I think an 18 mile section with a nice hut in the middle. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, we've started in the geo in the Earth and Environmental Sciences Department. We're thinking about bringing our field camp back home um, for, for cost reasons, but for other reasons as well. And one of the places we're targeting is some some land that's controlled by the Kentucky Natural Lands Trust, oh, wow. um, where we can stomp around the Appalachians without all the beware of dog signs and, you know, all the other things that come with it. But it's but it, it really is. Pine Mountain is a really spectacular structure. and It's kind of a world class example of um, if you go to. 
If you go to earth and environmental science classes around the world, you'll find in textbooks, the Pine Mountain Thrust is one of the best examples to teach students how this all happens and to have them. I knew about the Pine Mountain Thrust long before I knew where Pine Mountain was, so. And I mean, it's just, just to think about the, well, it's, it's just a good, good constrained example, like you said, and thinking about moving blocks of crust in, in collisional events and um, at low angles and what, how, what kind of rock mechanics is involved, what, what rock types are involved, what kind of fluid pressure is involved to move, move uh, a block of crust like that over time is just incredibly yeah, fascinating. I mean, not to jump back to the Himalayas, but you know, the big earthquake in the Himalayas in 2016 or 2015, the Gorkha earthquake, was basically formed along a fault that's very similar to what the Pine Mountain would have been 280 million years ago or whatever. Oh, wow. So a very very similar structure some of the deepest caves in kentucky and pine mountain uh, yeah. oh really uh -huh. yeah. didn't know that so. cumberland mountain has caves too yeah cumberland gap cave gap, yeah, gap cave, cave yeah. yeah which i think is actually on the virginia side okay yeah. how, how deeper i mean are they like when we're oh man like an estimate or... uh i don't remember <laughs> i don't deep. know uh, a couple hundred feet oh okay yeah. okay so i have to ask with my recent run-in with the rabies protocol I was just like, while I was heating up my um, fascinating lunch of chicken nuggets today, I was reading, my wife had one of those, so my wife's in the va vaccine protocol for rabies after getting bit by a feral kitten in Puerto Rico. But I was reading the little sheet, the info sheet that comes with it, and it said that cavers should get the rabies vaccine and prophylaxis because of bats. Oh. And I was curious if that's something that that you guys do. Have you, have you done that? <laughs> now this is not, yeah, you said anything else. <laughs> let's no, roll, I mean, let's like, roll with it. We always say that you can tell a sick bat, right? Like it's not behaving like the rest of the bats. So you just leave it alone, don't touch it. If you see a bat on the ground, it probably doesn't belong on the ground, so. Okay. But no. So I what mean, you're saying is if we don't touch and or eat the bats on the ground. We should be good. Well, then we don't need to. <laughs> Well, we thought this was just a kitten. It turned out to be one that, oh. that was very scared. <laughs> I think more dangerous is actually like the piles of guano where you yes. can get various yeah. lung-related yeah. diseases oh, right, right. and stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. Do they still have the, uh, is it the white, what's it? White nose syndrome. White nose syndrome, is that still going on? It is. I mean, it's basically decimated oh, the bat populations of North America. It's moved across the country now. They were sort of saying, oh, well, if you've been in, caves in the east you can't go in the caves in the west with the same gear and you have to decontaminate and while there's still decontamination protocols they really didn't find a way to stop it and so bat populations have been reduced by a massive amount i remember doing appalachian caving in west virginia um, as part of a class when i was at virginia tech and that where there were caves we weren't allowed to go in because of white nose so mm -hmm. that was gosh that was like 16 years ago yeah or years ago so i can't believe it wow yeah. So everything from blocks of crust to rabies, suspect terrains, rabies <laughs> protocol. Yeah, we covered all the, the highlights here. Yeah, we, we talk about moon pies and <laughs> moon pies and vinegar pies. And, it's really know. Kentucky then. Yeah. We, yeah. we did a fantastic job. I, I do. I, I remember that same Penrose conference. We had those people from all over the world. I remembered we were on a full-blown Appalachian field trip when I went into one of the little gas stations outside of Boone, North Carolina. And my wife was in there trying to explain to two gentlemen from India and one from um, South Korea 
what a pork rind was, why there were 35 different flavors and that you only could wash them down with cheer wine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yep, this is going to yeah, be a good trip. It's going to be good. Yeah. 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 So I, I, yeah, it was, that was actually a really good trip. That's another piece that I would like to see happen more in the Appalachians is starting to bring that really opened up my eyes to a lot of things, getting new sets of eyes on the outcrops. You know, you walk to the outcrops with the same five or 10 people every time and um, actually, that, Field trip. that yeah. kind of brings up a question is, I mean, you deal with geologists from around the world. What's what's the viewpoint of the Appalachians from from a geologist perspective, say in Europe or Asia or something that, you know, is this a is it the same? Oh, everything's been done. No. Or is it no, no, I, I, an opportunity? To, yeah, I think a lot of them see it as an opportunity. I think. Um, they see it as a place that's very territorial, but oh, really? I mean, I would say the same thing about working in the Himalayas because I, I always thought the Alps were very. I would say the same yeah. thing about working in the Alps. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's seen horribly different. I think a lot of them, though, were very surprised at the level at which there were so many things left to be done here. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, you know, you would think with the amount of people on the ground here and and the stuff going on, but that everything would be done. But once again, as we talked about, even with the surveys, the North Carolina, Tennessee surveys working, South Carolina survey working, and a lot of academic geologists working, we still are working with little islands of knowledge that haven't, in a lot of cases, haven't really been put together that well. Yeah, yeah. So my, my group right now is doing a large scale campaign geochronology effort um, in the Appalachians and Every time we get a new data set back, we're learning fundamental things, and it shouldn't be this easy mm -hmm. in 2021. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, keep keep doing what you're doing, Ryan. Um, thank you for your time here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great guest. Yeah, it was great. Anything else, you all? No, I think yeah, it was that was a great discussion. Good. It was yeah. good. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, Matt. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Ben Corwin and Alicia Gregory at UK's Office of Research Communications for technical support. If you have any ideas for the show, email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.